0: We're in mid-April now and time is hitting me. It's been over a year of various degrees of lockdown, over a year since I set foot in a classroom. I was able to get my second dose of the vaccine this week, Ah, and I am feeling so hopeful as I see more and more vaccines roll out. Yet, still worried for our children and students, for the parts of the world and the country with less access, where COVID is still raging. (sighs) It comes in waves, like everything, hope and worry, cresting and falling. These conversations with teaching artists lift me up, and I hope they do the same for you. Huge thank you to Christopher Bursk, who just joined as a supporter through Anchor. It is so meaningful to me when someone offers financial support to help keep this podcast going. It has allowed me to hire editors so that I can keep up the pace of producing weekly episodes while juggling all the things. If you'd like to chip in to support the show, I've set up a link where you can quickly and easily do that. The whole thing will take less than 60 seconds. It's anchor.fm teachingartistpodcast support. You can contribute $1, 5 or $10 per month. If Teaching Artist Podcast is a part of your week and you love what we're doing, please consider visiting anchor.fm slash teachingartistpodcast slash support or just clicking through the link in the show notes and supporting the show any way you can today. Thank you. I do feel like every time I re-listen to an interview in the editing process, I think of all the things I should have said. It's this imposter syndrome, this tendency to second-guess myself and focus on all the shoulda, coulda, wouldas, which I'm trying to eliminate. Do you struggle with that too? In this episode, Pat Cruz shared the heartbreaking story of losing her ability to speak Tagalog, Due to teachers asking her parents to stop speaking it with her. She also talked about struggling in school and how it began with language, not knowing how to separate English and Tagalog, and falling behind in these boring rote classes. She also shared the pain of struggling but then being stereotyped as a high-achieving student because she is Asian. Pat shared how her experiences as a student really drove her to make learning more engaging and connect it to students' real-world experiences, to help students who may feel the way she felt. We also talked a bit about the environmental effects of glitter and our struggles to avoid it in the art room, among many other things. I'll share a bit more about Pat Cruz in a minute, but first want to share our featured artist. Each week I'm sharing a featured artist as well as a guest interview. I'll share a bit about the featured artist here as well as sharing images of their work on Instagram and on the website. Our featured artist this week is Caitlin Sherman. And she is an artist who had submitted to our winter open call. She was raised in Alaska by her printmaker single mother who encouraged medium experimentation and artistic expression. She is self-taught and greatly influenced by the surrealism movement and anything that is colorful, weird, or funny. Some modern artists that she's jealous of are Sarah Rupp, Casey Weldon, David Shrigley, Peter Schmidt and Rowinda Omar, to name just a few. Generally, Katie works with acrylics on canvas focusing on the human form and portraits. From her statement about this specific series we're showing, she says this series is born during dark times as a way of escaping to a delightful, bright, funhouse mirror reality. I painted my loved ones as the world burned and my father was dying of cancer. I painted these portraits as my father changed from someone strong and independent to someone I barely recognized. As a way of laughing at the dark and holding on to my past, I painted my best friends on the best day of my life. Thank you to my favorite people who lent their faces to be distorted and recreated, changed but still beautiful. Ah, so meaningful. You can see her work on our Instagram, we'll be sharing this week, and also on our blog at teachingartistpodcast.com. And if you would like to be featured, you can submit your work at teachingartistpodcast.com slash opportunities. Pat Cruz speaks about her art form being teaching, teaching artists, and translating between artists and teachers. She has worked in arts integration for over 25 years and recently started TEACH, an organization that strives to address the urgent issues of both climate change and education reform through arts integration. Through TEACH, she offers professional development for teachers, artists, and teaching artists, as well as providing a platform for teaching artists to share their own workshops, As a first-generation Filipino-American, Pat Cruz loves to connect people from different cultures, something she has had to do from a very young age. The arts helped her to bridge her two worlds and better express herself when she struggled with language. She wants to help all students, especially those who struggle, to love school and love learning. She is an Atelierista and Arts Integration Specialist for the International School of Panama and the founder of the Transcontinental Educator-Artist Collective for Humanity, or TEACH. She is the founding director of the Teaching Artists Institute in Maryland and former Chief Innovation Officer for Young Audiences in Maryland. Pat Cruz has over 25 years of experience in integrating the arts into the curriculum. She taught for 10 years in public schools in the U.S., where she helped lead an arts integration pilot program beginning in 1998. This program significantly raised student achievement in reading and math. The results were so compelling that in 2005, she joined the nonprofit Young Audiences Arts for Learning of Maryland, As Education Director and Chief Innovation Officer, she designed PD programs and partnerships with schools and districts around Maryland. She also directed the Teaching Artists Institute, an intensive training program for teaching artists who want to integrate their art form into the school curriculum. Now, as a atelierista at the International School of Panama, Pat Cruz helps students explore the hundreds of languages of the arts, music, dance, and theater. Her goal is to help transform teaching practice through integrating the arts and teaching artists throughout the school day so that all students and teachers may find their voice and love learning. Let's hear from Pat Cruz. I am here with Pat Cruz and speaking across Borders. Pat is in Panama, which is kind of exciting to hear. And I was hearing some of the birds earlier, so I'm hoping to hear some of that again. (laughs) So I like to just get started by hearing about your background and how you got into teaching and how you became an artist and where those two started to come together.
1: Okay, great. Thank you. Yes, I am in Panama. I want to apologize. Hopefully it won't be too windy either because Mm -hmm. sometimes we're in the dry season, which is lovely and beautifully breezy, but sometimes it gets Mm. really crazy (laughs) wind, Uh, so hopefully it won't disrupt our recording. But yeah, so I was born and raised in Baltimore, Maryland, and I lived there almost my whole life (laughs) until 2018 when we moved here. Mm. I started as an art teacher in Baltimore County in Sandy Plains Elementary in Dundalk, Maryland, and I was lucky enough to have an arts integration program there. I had a really supportive principal who loved the arts I think she was also an arts major. And mm-hmm. we piloted a program way back when I started, in, like in the 90s, on helping kids learn reading through art, music, dance, and drama. Mm-hmm. And it did really, really well. We helped the kids raise their test scores. We were in a Title I school, which is a high poverty school. And it made a huge difference in their ability to get on reading level by the time they finished second grade. So the program did so well that I moved on to another school in Baltimore, another Title I school, and they had me implement it there. And it did super well there as well. And I was so excited by you know the data and the results we were getting that I wanted to spread that to other schools. And also, I'm just really lucky to have grown up in Maryland as, a, as an art teacher, as an art, arts educator, because they mm-hmm. have a program called the Maryland Artist Teacher Institute, or they used to. It started also in the 90s and the mid-90s. So I think it's one of the oldest arts integration programs mm-hmm. in the United States. I never heard anything else like it. The State Department of Education and the Arts Council got together and they had 100 teachers from across the state, public school teachers get together in the summer for seven days with a musician, a visual artist, a puppeteer, a poet, a dancer, Mm. and an actor. And we just would make amazing art together. And then the teachers had to figure out how do they connect it to their curriculum in their schools. And it was just such a magical program. And they put us up, we started out in dorms in the university, we like sleep there because they were coming from all different ends of the state. Mm. And so we were making art together, you know, in the evenings and all day long. And it really influenced my work. Mm. And I think it influenced a lot of teachers work in the state. And we I really say that like that's one of the reasons that Maryland was like ranked number one as far as our schools for so long when we had that program because our superintendent was very supportive of the arts too, Dr. Grasmick. So that program plus the work I was doing within the schools made me realize, you know, this should be spread to more kids because it's making such a huge difference in their academics and their student achievement on top of their creativity and just themselves as a whole child so Mm -hmm. a job opportunity came up where I ended up working for that institute that summer institute for like Mm -hmm. 10 11 years and being one of their facilitators and then we worked with a nonprofit called Young Audiences Arts for Learning in Maryland Uh where we put artists in the school so it it was like Maddie all year long and uh, that's really what got me going full starts and into this full-time integration and working with artists and Designing a training program for artists because what we realized and what the artists told us when we would have these state institutes was like this is fantastic for the teachers, but you really should have this for the artists because we don't know. Like you're throwing us in here, we don't even know what we're doing, and they're like having to make right plans and things. And I'm like, uh, you're right. We need to have a teaching artists institute. And mm-hmm. years later, when I started working for Young Audiences, that's what I ended up doing i was the director. And we we um, worked with a team with the Arts Council and Young Audiences and AIMS another arts education group, Arts Education Maryland Schools, and we created the Teaching Artists Institute, and that, I really think, really helped to set the stage, because what it became, it was a straining for artists, but we had teachers come in on the Saturdays, and they were asked to come and were paid to come to help the artist, but what it turned into was this beautiful place that and space where the artist and the teacher could really work together, get to know each other, understand how, what they do connect with what they <laughs> (laughs) kids to learn and then the teachers and artists actually tested it out they did the residency in that that teacher's classroom Mm -hmm. so every artist had a teacher partner and they got to work together in the classroom so they had this really long and depth relationship through going through the course together and then you know eventually after years of doing the program some of those teachers became administrators and what we found was like the work of artists teaching artists was increasing because the teachers understood the power of having an artist in the classroom and having artists and mm-hmm. residents in the schools. And then we found that we had um, school districts actually making it part of the budget where artists and residents were a regular part
0: yeah. of the school day, which was really wonderful. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm curious if you could share maybe some of the strategies. Like I wrote down when you were first talking about the reading program through the arts, Any, if you remember or if you could share any of the kind of specific strategies for those of... You know, those of us listening who are in the classroom, kind of in it now. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um,
1: There's lots and and there's lots of resources, too. Mm -hmm. Kennedy Center has lesson plans. Walter's Art Museum in Maryland in Baltimore worked a lot with the school teachers and they have a whole website with lesson Mm -hmm. plans. But actually, um, it's funny because I was just speaking about this before. And I guess just some specific strategies. It depends on what you're doing and what you're interested in, but also we mm-hmm. want to make it really authentic to the art form. So, you know, sometimes it's not a, it's not a good fit and you don't want to make something contrived. That's the last thing we mm. want to do. I want to honor the art form first mm. and foremost. So I think there you are know, some things that have worked for me generally is looking at what the teachers need. So when we focused on second grade, they needed to understand verbs and that they're mm. action words. And I, so I think, oh, what do I do in visual arts that's about action? And I mm-hmm. thought, well, gesture drawings, gesture drawings are all about action. It's not about mm-hmm. any details or or who the person is, it's just about what action are they doing. So we connected those two things. And I actually put a little bit of drama in it too, where the kids had to, we had a box full of verbs, They had to act it out and freeze. And then the rest of us would, would learn to gesture, draw and, and sketch the model. And then they'd have to write, what is the action? What was the verb that you th- think you saw? And that was a way for them to really, a concrete way to really understand what is a verb. Mm-hmm. And also they had to physicalize it too, and to figure out, And problem solve how do you I show this action but be frozen at the same time (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) which is also a
1: challenge so there's like very simple strategies like that and then there's kind of more long-term strategies too where we actually have this big project where we're working on just a whole climate change environmental initiative now because Mm -hmm. it's so important and we had artist Diana Saez and Maria Barbosa who are phenomenal artists uh, teaching artists work with teachers to and they have done this with students too where they're looking at the rainforest and listening to the sounds and creating data based on what they hear and what they see they're using a scientific method to find out the health and the diversity of this specific location and the environment mm-hmm. and then they had to express it visually and musically and we looked at the work of Goldsworthy and Goldsworthy mm-hmm. as inspiration of you know how you can look at nature and connect with nature and also um, express ideas through the natural world and not have to make it a permanent thing because Mm -hmm. I think that's also I think something uh, that is a challenge when you're trying to be environmentally conscious and you're an art teacher and you deal with so many disposable things (laughs)
0: right Uh. (laughs) yeah and so many things going down the drain yes oh god that like there's like a whole sparkle conversation (laughs) oh (laughs) glitter yes Yes. (laughs) I know. I feel like I inherited a bunch of glitter. I would not I refuse to buy it. But I was like, yeah, here, what do I do with this?
1: (laughs) I know, I'm trying to figure out like, is there are there projects where I can contain it in a way Mm -hmm. that will be safe and it will forever be in this, you know, contained state that will right.
0: not end up in the water system <laughs> yeah 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 for a long time I had it like hidden away and then kids and even parents would ask me like why don't where, where's the glitter don't you have some glitter you're an art teacher <laughs> right
1: I know it's terrible
0: no I know I,
1: I, the, I, we have the same issues especially here because in, in Panama like we're just the water is everywhere we're just surrounded mm-hmm. by water was. We try to be so conscious of it yeah I, yeah. I also have the same problem because there's so much glitter in there and I feel so bad because before you know before any of us knew I used to used to make all kinds of giant glitter posters yeah. <laughs> with the kids and <laughs> yeah sparkles yeah they're always asking for this I work with very young ones so uh, it's always about the glitter yes
0: <laughs> yeah. we one solution is and i I'm not sure if this is really a lot better, but using like the glitter glue where it's kind Mm -hmm. of already embedded in a glue so the little bits aren't, Getting everywhere, right? And my daughter loves that stuff. She's five, so <laughs> the little yeah. ones really. it love seems that. like it,
1: yeah. It's a, it, at least it helps to contain it a lot better. And mm-hmm. I think it's all yeah. about just being responsible with how we manage the waste and make sure, make sure right. it doesn't get into the water system.
0: Yeah, Ugh. yeah. But and yeah. so now you're teaching young students there, and I'm also curious how you like you kind of started your story as an educator. Did you always kind of plan to be a teacher? Oh. <laughs> no, absolutely no. I'm I guess that
1: yeah, I don't know if did you? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah I wonder if our teachers are different than most teachers because most teachers you ask them and they're like oh yes I always played teacher when I was a child and I absolutely hated school (laughs) you know I did not do well in school I was a terrible student Mm -hmm. I was the first in my family to be born in the states so Uh it was a struggle because you know we had a different language at home my parents came from the Philippines though they spoke Mm -hmm. English and Philippine and Tagalog but Mm -hmm. I didn't know the difference between the two we just interchange the two because that's how right. it is. And the. You know, when I was growing up in the 70s, the teachers, sometimes I would use words they didn't understand, and mm. they thought that was holding me back. And one day I needed to throw up and I didn't know the English word. And I uh. told the teacher, <laughs> but she didn't understand. <laughs> and so I threw up and then, you know, it was a big mess. And then they uh. told my parents to stop speaking to me in Tagalog. They said, oh, that it, no. yeah, which was so uh. terrible. Because So now I can only understand it from hearing it, but I can't speak it anymore. Cause I was mm. forbidden to speak it anymore. <laughs> uh. But I think it really made me not like school at all. You know, I had this mm-hmm. culture at school and I had this different culture at home and, mm. and I was like kind of the go-between cause my poor parents, you know, they were completely mm-hmm. new to the country too so it actually I think helped me l- later because I feel like I've always had that role of being the buffer or being the translator mm-hmm. between two cultures whether it's like the culture of artists and the culture of teachers because mm-hmm. that's a lot of what we do in our teaching artist training is helping artists understand the culture of schools and the language mm-hmm. that teachers use <laughs>
0: hmm
1: Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I didn't, I didn't plan to become a teacher. I, um, I really was, I remember like finishing high school and like, oh, that's good. I don't want to. And I thought I was going to do biology. Actually, I started as a science major, Mm -hmm. but I didn't have the math And I definitely didn't have, I guess, the discipline to do the math. And so I took a break from school because I actually did so poorly that I went on academic suspension. (laughs) And I started taking, so when I had that break, I took an art class. And I always was, you know, I always did do well in in art class and I loved art. But I didn't think, you know, like probably most of us, that I could make any money with Mm -hmm. art. But when I took that class, I realized this is like something that I am passionate about. And I. love and so I decided well I'll I'll do arts education because at least that way I'll have a job but then the more I got through the program the more I realized this is kind of actually the perfect the perfect job for me
0: I love that. And I love how maybe some of that biology interest is coming back mm-hmm. now in your work around climate change.
1: Yeah, I think maybe so. And I also I realize now that it's good to have teachers who hated school in that <laughs> in the on staff because mm-hmm. so many don't have that perspective. They don't understand that perspective of the students who hate school. And I do. So it kind of helps to bring some empathy or some understanding into the team. And I I think that's always been my mission is to help kids who are like me, who really struggled. and, And I was really way below grade level. I was always like in the remedial reading class, but it was not because I... I, at the time I thought, you know, I'm just dumb and I'm more, mm. I didn't, I don't learn the way everyone else. And I felt really stupid, but mm. I just realized that, you know, I was in a Catholic school and it was very rote and very boring, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so like, it's now my mission to make you know school interest that's why I want to integrate the arts like you know in, mm. in schools all over the world now where I, I can help kids who are like me who really struggle with the traditional way of learning
0: yeah I feel like I've heard that before I I was kind of the opposite I was like a very sort of shy introverted good student like A uh. student <laughs> 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 and now I feel the same way that I notice those kids who are just like you know, kind of head down, trying their best, but like kind of scared to speak up. Right, and like the kids that are like I was.
1: <laughs> oh, that's
0: yeah, but it's it definitely makes a difference. Yeah, and I
1: I was so typecast because the other kids thought I was good just because I was the only Asian girl at this school, oh. you know, you wake up in Maryland and in the they're like, Oh, she's Asian. She's, she's really good. I'm like, why are you copying off of me? I'm like
0: failing class. You Yeah. The stereotypes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah but it does make such a difference. I think like you were saying for kids to have teachers that understand where they're coming from, from experience, yeah. like not just kind of guessing how they might be feeling.
1: Yeah, it's true. I think so. I And I just think that I mean, it's just a fun way of learning, right? Like, why not? Why wouldn't you want to connect that fractions lesson to
0: beatboxing? You know, Mm. like, yes, why no? Why would you not do that? Yeah, I love that. Using the arts to engage.
1: Exactly. To engage and to connect
0: it to their real lives, to connect Mm. to where the kids are, you know, make it real for them. And make it memorable. Like, that's the other thing that if you experience something more viscerally than And just like reading it, it sticks with you. Yes,
1: I actually... There's some data that we got from um, Bates Middle School in Anne Arundel County, where they got Mm -hmm. to do a control group and then a group that got to learn through arts integration, and Mm -hmm. it showed like I think 97% of the kids in the arts integration group retained their information, Mm -hmm. and it was way higher than the control group. And now, all the whole now like everything's arts integration. They can't have a control because you know the results were so good. It would be wrong to (laughs) to make some kids not get to have the arts integration classes. <laughs> mm-hmm. which is really great. But I mean, I think that everybody, all artists, I, I, I don't know, I feel like General Polly p- would probably say, you know, of course, you're going to be more engaged if you're making art while you're learning science and or you're making music while you're learning math. Mm-hmm. It just makes sense. And there's actually lots of neuroscience that backs that up as well.
0: Ah, yeah, I was actually talking with some people about drawing and the connection between drawing, reading, and neuroscience and like how there's studies about that as well. And I've been seeing in my daughter's kindergarten class learning to read they have there's a lot of drawing involved in learning to read and write
1: oh nice yeah yeah which is really interesting yeah definitely there's a nice uh, little video about why kids should draw more in school in general Mm -hmm. and like just encouraging all teachers to have kids use drawing in their note taking and just throughout Mm -hmm.
0: the, the day in their classes yeah it was really interesting for me to see how they're teaching it maybe one of the benefits to having school be online right now is that I get to sort of be like in the classroom which is our living room mm-hmm. yes <laughs> and- see what's happening. Yeah. So that's been really interesting just to see how, you know, writing workshop is mostly at age five when they're just learning to write. It's mostly like draw your story and then see what words you can add.
1: Yes. I feel like the parents are really getting a whole new picture of what it is, what they're doing in the classroom, what we're teaching. Yeah. As a art teacher, I hardly got to communicate and relate with the parents. And now I, Mm -hmm. I have so much more connection with my parents, especially my pre-K classes because they have to be there the whole time with my little three and four-year-olds.
0: Oh, yes. and and what does teaching look like for you now how has the pandemic shifted it are you is everything online
1: oh yeah we have been online since march okay right yeah. away and like i think the second day after they they had the first case in panama and mm-hmm. we're in an international school where mm-hmm. lots of you know they're traveling all over the place all the time and so of course that first case we had one of our students who was on the same airplane as the person yeah. so uh, thank god they shut down the school right away Mm -hmm. and so yeah it's been a challenge we we shut down right away and i think we had like three days to prepare (laughs) Mm -hmm. and then we start like i think we shut down tuesday we had wednesday to prepare and start to get things ready and then grab stuff from our classrooms and then even when we went to back to school to grab stuff from the classrooms the government's like, no, everyone must go home right now. We thought we would have like a whole day to plan and have meetings. And they, they kicked us out because they, they're very strict oh. here. We actually have been on really strict lockdown for a long time and still still are having issues, you know, with the cases spreading. Mm-hmm. But we, yeah, we just kind of figured it out. At first we were on, at least the arts teachers and the special area teachers were doing asynchronous. We did everything through video, and which was yeah. really hard because Oh, it's just, you need the energy of the kids and not to see them mm-hmm. was really, really hard. And plus, you're yeah. just, you know, I feel like it's one thing to do it live and then let it go. And then, but if you record it, then you want, are a perfectionist and you want to make it perfect. And it just, it yeah. took me many, many hours to make video lessons. Mm-hmm. And, that, and then we can, Thank goodness when we came back after the summer break, we you know the feedback was they wanted more synchronous time with the kids during special time. So mm-hmm. we've been doing all synchronous classes with one asynchronous class a week, and it's so much better. It's easier to plan. It's they're like you know a double-edged sword is because one is. You you don't know if they're getting it or not. You're just kind of okay. Keep going, right? Because you're just the lesson with nobody there. Yeah. But then on the other side, on the flip side, I have to keep the lesson very quick and short because I've got 20 minutes and we have to deal with the whatever materials that teachers or the parents happen to have in their mm-hmm. classroom. So we've been creative using food, using clothes, using laundry. Uh, you know, I feel like all of us, our teachers have been <laughs> like pulling out all the stops and it's been a whole year and I'm like running out of ideas. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, I totally feel that. And, you know, I'm like, there's only so many things I can do with your recycling Yes. And, <laughs> and like <laughs> well, pencil <yeah>. and paper
1: <laughs> yeah I know and now some of them are starting to use dry erase boards I'm like oh mm. I see we don't want to use paper anymore which right. is right I can understand if we're drawing, but like, we're painting today. I don't know. if
0: you can Right. <laughs> That's instead. not quite going to work.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then we have the ones where well, we're at the beach. I don't have my art supplies here. Uh. <laughs> so that, but the kids, they were very creative. Like sometimes they'll use materials that they find on the beach, you know, seashells and rocks and things. Mm
0: -hmm. So, yeah, we do what we can. Yeah. And so you weren't your school wasn't able to give like art kits or anything like that supplies
1: yes we did do that at one point we we had a like a materials pickup and we were going to do it again but some of the kids aren't in like we have some of our kids because there's an international school some went home and they're mm-hmm. like calling in from italy or wherever and <laughs> mm-hmm. so we have kids all over the place and so some yeah. of them didn't get their supplies or they were not in the city they were like they drove out to the countryside or they drove out right. to the beaches and so they didn't get their supplies yeah so yeah but most of them do have that's good yeah Yeah. i mean it's it is a privileged group i have to say it's Mm -hmm. it's a very elite school it's a very different environment than teaching in baltimore city public school right yeah completely different quite the culture change yeah (laughs) Uh, But kids are kids. It's the same. It really is. The kids are the same. It's just that the circumstances are a bit different.
0: Right. And then alongside your teaching, you also started Teach. Could you talk more about that and the programs that you're creating?
1: Yes, I would love to. Because of the pandemic, I was so concerned about these wonderful artists, and they're all becoming really good friends and family, really, Mm -hmm. back in Maryland. And right away you know of course when the schools closed boom their their income was completely gone because uh. they're independent contractors they're not right. on salary and uh, and they still have bills to pay and families they take care of mm-hmm. so I was just trying to think like what can I do how can I help I'm all the way in Panama and I looked around online because I actually had this idea that when when I was leaving that it was for two reasons one was because we always dreamed to live outside of the country and see what it was like to live in another country. Mm-hmm. And two was because I wanted to see if I could help spread this idea of arts integration that was so strong in Maryland to other parts of the world. And maybe if we did it something internationally, it could also help nationally in a way because there are so many parts of the United States that still doesn't know about arts integration. So maybe this international format will help to bring more attention to it. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I I found this great website called Share Tribe or this website building platform Mm. I think they're in Finland and they offered like five months free if you were helping to support people who were affected from the pandemic because it was Mm. in April right like then you know in the very early parts of the pandemic and so I you know we were I have no nonprofit status I didn't have anything and I just wrote them my idea like I want to help the artists and get them like virtual work and maybe could also help families who are stuck in they can you know hire an artist to do a workshops for for them or to do a show a private show online for them and they said yes that sounds fantastic and they they gave me five months free i think we all thought oh yeah five months it'll be definitely over by then (laughs) (laughs) right right so it was great because it was like the i used to airbnb back in baltimore which was a fun way to meet people and it was like the airbnb i say it's like the airbnb for teaching artists because Uh, it you have like a it takes care of the money for the artists. It like, you can just pay online and then, it goes to the artist account and they don't have to worry about talking about that. That's why I loved about Airbnb. I could like have people come over. I don't have to worry about touching the money. And mm-hmm. it just is all handled by the website. So that is a really nice uh, feature. And then also they can leave reviews for each other. Mm-hmm. And I thought it wouldn't be great to have like teaching artists on there. And we have some amazing teaching artists who have joined the TEACH program. And TEACH stands for Transcontinental Educator Artists Collective for Humanity. Mm-hmm. So Beautiful. That's our acronym. Thank you. So it was really about, you know, trying to help artists and educators connect so that we can help empower our students and help them to find their passion. And whether it's artistic or not, it I think the skills that they get from having an educator and an artist collaborating together, the communication, the collaboration, the cultural understanding and critical thinking is what we want in all of our schools. So it's been very exciting, actually. We have only, you know, we're in a couple of months, we'll be a year old, and we've got phenomenal artists on the roster. We have done a couple of PDs. We did one in Italy. We just did one a week ago in Romania for 50 teachers. They were beatboxing with Max Bent and Jamal Collier. That was really exciting. It's very revolutionary in some parts of the world. Mm. <laughs> we were very surprising. But they asked us to do this. And it was a Friday afternoon for these teachers in Romania. And it was voluntary. And I thought, well, maybe they're going to have, you know, a handful of teachers come. Yeah. And they said, well, what's the maximum? Can we have 100 people? I'm like, wow. And we thought, well, that's kind of hard to do PD for 100 people online. I said, I think the maximum should be 50. And she said, okay, we'll make a limit of 50. And I thought, well, yeah, maybe they'll have, you know, 25 or less. come. Uh-huh. Um, well, they had 50. They had it filled completely. Wow. And not only did the teachers stay for the whole two-hour PD, which I actually was thinking it should just be one hour because I thought it's like a long time. I don't know uh-huh. how long your PDs are. <laughs> I thought
0: that would be a long
1: time <laughs> for a PD. They stayed for the whole two hours and then they stayed almost an hour more just talking about lesson ideas that they were excited about from Uh. what they learned from from Max. And it was phenomenal. And now they are talking to us. Uh, We met this wonderful Partner, Alina Gambuta in, in Romania, who is a teacher trainer, and she knows other teacher trainers. So she's talking to like Spain and Portugal and other countries ah. about what we're doing, because it's very, very, very different and new that in like, especially in Romania, they're very traditional and very mm-hmm. I guess, just kind of old fashioned in, in how they approach education with their students. And so right. she really loved it. And I love what she said, because she said that, um, you know, arts is freedom and our mm-hmm. arts- Teachers really need to understand themselves how to be free in their thinking, and this mm-hmm. is why arts integration is so important, so that they can help their kids to be creative and free in their thinking, yeah. and this is what they have hired us to to help them with. That's amazing. It's, it's, it's very exciting. Yeah. It's very exciting.
0: So you have teaching artists, can can they sort of post their own, this is, you know, like I can do a session about you know, beatboxing, or I can do a session about painting or, you know, whatever it is, they, they can just come on and post what they're able to offer. Yes, absolutely.
1: That's, that's like the Airbnb side too, because you're, you're your own boss, like, I'm not the boss, it's a collective. And you can decide what you're doing. I help I can, I can help and assist and facilitate and and Mm -hmm. bounce ideas. But it's all it's up to them, they decide what they charge, they decide, you know, how to structure it. Mm -hmm. And they post it there. I do recommend that you know that they test it out obviously first but all of the artists that are are on there are are artists that I know (laughs) because I had to say hey try this thing that you have no idea what it (laughs) it is so thank goodness for my good friends who took the jump with me and and have put their work on there now I have to say that's the next step is trying to get teachers and schools and even families to to go to the website and Mm -hmm. and to look at the fantastic offerings that are there because we have everything from taikoza, taiko drumming from Japan to mm. crochet to wonderful poets and beatboxers. Mm. So we have a variety. We have a vaudevillian um, circus uh-huh. act. <laughs> circus. Yeah. So I think that is the side that we're trying to build on now. It's just trying to get now, we have the artists on the collective we need the teacher side of the collective to mm-hmm. join and we've been working on that and the other goal is to try to recreate that beautiful magical Maddie program that I told you about in the beginning yeah. where we had the summer institutes so we we had last you know in tw- in September I was thinking we would be able to travel by this summer and maybe we will who knows but we we started planning to have a, a summer institute for July of the summer we now have decided to move it to july of 2022 just to be safe yeah but we'll have a virtual conference but that is the ultimate goal is to have summer institutes where we have teachers from all different parts of the world Mm. from public and private and international schools and local schools gather together learn from teaching artists from a variety of teaching artists and have a wonderful teaching artist retreat every year Mm. and really the big dream would be that we raise enough money so that it's almost free for any teacher or teaching artist to attend. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to raise money for that. Like my my vision was like this, I like the whole crowdsourcing and crowdfunding concept. Mm-hmm. And I always, I'm like, I like looking at their ideas, but I'm like, why? Like if this company can raise like $90,000 for oh this gosh. purse, this new purse design, uh-huh. <laughs> like can't I raise like, if I can get like, a thousand teachers to give $30, that would be enough for us to have an institute. Uh, and then out of that $30, everybody, all, all the thousand people will have the virtual institute. And then we'll pick 20 out of that thousand to get to come. And every year we'll pick, you know, a different group of people to come. And maybe if we get more people, teachers and more you know to sign up then more teachers can come and it would be like this kind of just very socialist (laughs) way of all of us supporting each other so that we could make it happen Uh but yeah i i have like we have a little over 100
0: now so we're getting there yeah slowly but surely yeah I feel like you know it it grows it's like a long-term thing and it'll grow kind of little by little and then I do feel like with this sort of thing there is that sort of snowball effect where it gets bigger and bigger and like then it starts to grow more quickly as more people share right yeah We get it. exactly we need critical mass mm-hmm. and then and then it's going to be
1: exponentially growing. Like, Yeah, because my first thought was to make it like a contest. And I thought, you can have a chance at winning the free trip to Italy. Mm. Sign up for the the virtual conference, pay the $30, and then you get a chance to mm. win. The team thought that, no, it shouldn't be... Ra-. Some people thought that was like too much like a raffle mm-hmm. and they thought, well, we should do a creative challenge instead. But that was, so we did a creative challenge and only six teachers actually did it. Cause we, you know, I figured everyone's exhausted. Everyone's tired. Mm-hmm. And the last thing you need to do is to do something else online, but God bless the six teachers and teaching artists who submitted an entry. And we have a wonderful winner who is Kristen Taylor from Baltimore city. Who's done incredible work with yeah. her students. Awesome. And, yay she's going to italy for free yay. Oh, woo. So that's awesome <laughs> in 2022 <Yeah. laughs> like next year but yeah she's got it all expense paid but i think we're going to revamp the that and i think we're going to go back to maybe not making it random but making it so people can share like they'll post their a little listing of themselves on the website and then they just need to share it and get lots of shares and lots of likes and that way it'll help to build the community
0: as well as pick our winners for the contest i feel like with these things it's also helpful to be a little bit flexible like you have been and kind of adjust as you figure out what's working and what's not working, and right. Yeah. I, and I
1: love having that flexibility because it's just basically it's just me <laughs> figuring things out. Right. I used to work for you know when you work for a nonprofit or even work for a school, you know it takes forever to change things. It makes make decisions so it's nice to just kind of decide and figure it out and if it doesn't work I'll just do something else the next time right Right. yeah
0: Yeah. it is interesting you know because I've been in that role a little bit now too just with this project and our like we have an online exhibition space and making decisions but then I feel like I'm always second guessing myself especially if it's really just me or if there's like one other person I'm constantly like asking well is this right like what about this what about?" this. Yeah, I know. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So there's that speed and that ability to like really kind of turn on a dime. But then there's also that I don't like imposter syndrome a little bit and just mm-hmm. feeling like, ah, oh, I don't know if I'm doing it right. Like right. who am I to be the one making decisions? Yeah.
1: And you don't want to like come off as a flake that, oh, they're changing it again. And blah, blah. But um yeah. yeah, but I think, I feel like it's such a tenuous time. Like every, we've been living in limbo for how long, how many months more are we going to live in limbo and everything's constantly changing with this pandemic, you know? So mm-hmm. I think it's understandable at the same time too
0: too because Yeah, definitely. We all have to adjust what's happening all constantly. I love the idea of even if the like the thirty dollar fee is sort of a fee where you can then attend the online conference, that's, you know, still pretty affordable for a conference. Yeah, that's what I thought so. And if that also gives you the potential of going in person and having that deeper connection with the people, all sounds very like win-win.
1: Yeah. Thank you. I'm thinking that also we'll do, since this year, we only will have the online conference that... One of the goals of that conference is that we people cr- go and they actually do action like either a lesson plan or or a project in their community, and they have and we'll come back after like six months and check in and have it'll be optional. Mm-hmm. But if people show what they did, their projects, we can select our winners based off of or some of our winners based off of those projects. Mm-hmm. And I feel like those people really showed that they should come to our in-person institute mm-hmm. in July. So maybe like January, we'll have a kind of a follow-up meeting to see what was the progress of of the environmental arts integrated project that you created Mm -hmm. and then we can have people vote or whatever and pick who should come to Italy yeah and then I'm hoping every year we can have it in a different place I actually did do an institute in in Panama my first year here before the pandemic started and then we were supposed to have another one in 2019 we had scheduled it and we had fantastic hip-hop artist Jamal Blackroot Collier who was supposed to come everyone was super excited like it filled up like Uh... in a day the, the registration And of course, we all know what (laughs) happened.
0: Yeah. With the idea of having people kind of evaluate their progress with their projects, would that be part of what you're kind of teaching or would you be offering like evaluation tools or just because I feel like that's one area where, you know, if you haven't. Like I know you've worked for some nonprofits that sound like they were doing a really good job of that, of like Mm -hmm. evaluating and collecting that data and being able to, you know, because that data is really important that that's a way to share what's happening and to, you know, influence and advocate for continued arts integration. Yeah,
1: it's absolutely is. So I don't know if that would be part of it. Yeah, we're going definitely we um, that'll be part of the training for those who need it. And then part of the criteria that we ask for and help to facilitate when they go back to their, to their communities. Uh, We're were thinking we're going to have kind of three tracks because we have some people who are just completely new to the whole concept of integration, but are interested in learning about it. So we'll have like arts integration, introductory track, and then we'll have people who maybe they they're interested in connecting with the, like to do a more international kind of work and and see and meet people at the conference so that's going to be another track kind of a more global perspective track and then um, maybe we have a track for the kind of intermediate people who are ready to to do to already know arts integration but they want to focus on climate change and they want to learn about all the ins and outs of what they can do locally to help address sustainability and climate mm-hmm. change so, yes, absolutely, because it's important in a lot of different ways. And I think that's probably the biggest part of what we do in the training is to help teachers and artists understand evaluation. It's funny because as a it's now it's my 25th year in education and that's always been the the struggle. And in a way, like I, I think artists do it naturally, but they just need to understand the, the language to use to describe what they're doing because we're really kind of internal and I think intuitive about how we evaluate ourselves and evaluate our things and and it's done well usually but we just don't know how to take that and put it in the language of education education mm-hmm. ease and have people understand it. And I think actually the magic comes when you have educators and teachers talk about that and figure out like really, what is the whole purpose of this project? What is the understanding we want them to walk away with? What's the big idea? And so we really do a lot of kind of backwards design, understanding mm-hmm. by design. Because I'm from, from Maryland, where Jay McTie is from, and Daisy McTie was my boss. <laughs> so I learned a lot about UBD and understanding by design directly from the McTies.
0: That's amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was like I said, I'm very lucky to have grown up in Maryland. I think it was a very, it's very good for art teachers to study there. And like one time I was uh, at a National Art Educators Conference, NAEA mm-hmm. conference, and what, I think it was in Seattle. And on the plane ride back, I'm looking at the plane and there's like Dick Deasy and all these huge names in arts, arts education on the plane. I'm like, oh, gosh, hope nothing <laughs> happens to this plane oh. because there's all of the leaders of arts education are on this plane right now. But I think also it's just because we're so close to D.C. and, you know, we're a lot of a lot of them have yeah. to work working in NAEA.
0: And where, do you, where are you, Rebecca? I'm, sorry. Oh, I'm in Los Angeles. Oh, fabulous. Yeah. So on the other side of the world, the other side. Yeah. We haven't really gotten into your own art making. Do you have sort of a studio practice or are you making time for your own artwork or is it more like I feel like I saw on your website somewhere this idea that like your artwork is almost yeah. this, like translation, <gasps> this like teaching artists?
1: right one of my it was one of my artists who said that a friend of mine kevin martin he said you're you're a teaching artist whose art form is teaching artists Like, yeah, that's kind oh. of what it is. I feel like, yeah, now it definitely is. I, you know, I, I love clay. I love pottery. And I also love printmaking. And I mm-hmm. used to do, I used to have my own printmaking kind of side business when I was in Baltimore and did a lot of t-shirts and festivals. Mm-hmm. And when I could, you know, I guess when I was working at the nonprofit and I was doing this work full time for for that, then I got to have my that art form, and mm-hmm. I don't know. Probably can tell from my from the language I use that I'm a big activist too. So for that reason, I love printmaking because you can you know, help with political messages and. <laughs> mm-hmm and like I had my first t-shirt was just be more for peace and that was just right before the Iraq war so I've been doing it a long time but very like local locally centric messages but also globally connected Mm -hmm. well I guess now that the last three years I I think definitely my art form has been has been teach (laughs) Mm because it's it's a labor of love outside of my work as a atelerista at at my school yeah
0: it takes so much time and effort to get something like that kind of going, and, and keep it moving forward
1: yeah and I, I do think that like, for me I was I, I was just I just met an artist yesterday and it's so rare you know during these times to meet new people but I went to volunteer at our community garden and he was there and he, he didn't call himself an artist he was helping with the stones and he's like oh I, I paint you want to see I just started painting again I haven't painted in a while because he heard I was an art teacher and I went to see his work and it's so incredible and I'm like wow this is just so beautiful and you've done so much and he's like yeah and i have haven't paid it in like 20 years or something like that. Wow. And I, I think I would go back to it when I, when I retire, but mm-hmm. I, I, very much I think I need to do something that that is addressing urgent needs that I see in the world and to me like the environment is extremely important and also helping to transform education is extremely important to me so I, I think that's probably gonna be my my life's mission from now on so, <laughs> until I get too old to do it uh,
0: I can picture you like I don't know that you would ever be too old for it
1: <laughs> <laughs> thanks
0: <laughs> yeah it's funny
1: because when I was working in Maryland, I worked with a lot of younger people. And when we, you know, we started in the 90s, so a lot of my friends from that program have gotten older and have retired, but in the the young people I was working with at Young Eyes were like, wow, how come everyone who's into arts integration is so old? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And hopefully that's changed. Like, hopefully, I think, you know, we're having a a younger generation understand it and learn about it. But yeah, it's interesting because there's, there's so much work still to be done. I think you can get when you live in a place like, I always said, you know, I was in the bluest part of the bluest (laughs) state, like, in the bluest city. And Mm -hmm. to be able to like, leave it and then and look from afar at some things that we are doing really really well in that place that maybe when you're in it, you don't realize that it's, it is it is good because every time I think everything's relative and you always have something to complain about. But to, <laughs> to help to highlight that and to say, you know, this is a great model that other schools should be using and the fact that our number one in the country as far as our, our school system needs to also have some kind of connection with the fact that we're also one of the highest in how much we spend on arts and education. And mm-hmm. if you look at some school systems that spend like nothing or next to nothing on arts education and where they are in the spectrum mm-hmm. of, of like how well
0: their schools are doing, I bet there will be a correlation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I find it interesting how you're talking about addressing the urgent needs and putting that all of that energy into the environment, climate change, and then also connecting that with education. Um, and I, you know, totally agree that those are super urgent important needs and then just thinking about you know there's artists that maybe focus their work around those issues as well yeah just the variety of ways to come at it and I feel like your approach is I want to be this translator I want to be this connector of people that are you know able to bring their art form and their knowledge of education together and create change that way. And then there might be, you know, a painter who comes at it with that sort of background, like, I'm going to paint these images that can inspire people or, you know, whatever, whatever it is, there's just so many approaches to addressing these issues.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I I hope the thing I really hope for is that every. Day, like, especially in the United States, most of the time, every day, t- even teachers and administrators don't see how what they do connect mm-hmm. to the environment and climate change, and they don't, they don't teach it. Mm-hmm. And there was actually a survey I saw recently, I think by national public television, about like 60% or something of teachers say they don't teach climate change, because they don't, it doesn't connect to their curriculum. Uh-huh. But really, if you understood about what you know, really the ins and outs of how, what it connects to everything, you know, that it we all should be really addressing this in an urgent manner and and seeing how it, it absolutely connects to whether you're teaching art or music or science or math. Yeah, there's so many connections. Like we're all connected to the environment and what is happening. So yeah. it, I think it's just my own need to try to make change because I'm feeling frustrated with, mm. with politics and hearing so long of people just say, you know, complaining about it. I'm like I'm not going to complain about it. I need to figure out a way to motivate people to do something about it. So, yeah. And that's what we do, right? As teachers is try to inform and educate mm-hmm. the public and hopefully get them engaged as citizens themselves.
0: Yes, I love that and just not taking the passive route and sitting back and right. complaining instead of yeah, being active about it.
1: Especially in the, the, you know, what's happened in the last four years with so much negativity and so much just complete backwards movements. <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, as teachers, we need to lead the way to help to make progress as far as what, is possible. And like seeing Greta, you know, the student accomplish so much. She really was a big inspiration for me. She accomplished yeah. so much and just she's a young student. Like we as teachers, we can't say that we can't do anything. And you can see that this little girl has done more like than any government organization has been able to do about climate change awareness. Totally. So yeah, we have no excuse. Yeah.
0: So. She's a huge
1: Yes. Yeah, I, I'm hoping that we can. Well, I'm sure this is a crazy long shot. But I'm like, maybe we can get Greta to be a keynote at our oh, <laughs> at our conference. That, that would be mean. amazing. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh. We'll see. I have a really yeah. good friend uh, who's been working with me on the Italian side, Federico Colombo, and he would he would come to our institutes in Maryland. We had Italian teachers coming to it. They heard mm-hmm. about it and, and they would come and learn about arts integration from us. And then we would send um, teachers from Maryland to Italy, which was a great exchange. Yeah. But uh, Federico, he like knows everybody. So he knows somebody
0: who knows Greta. So he's working <laughs> on trying to see if we can get Greta. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And those connections, like that's what's going to make it all work and that that's what makes it all happen it's so true it's all about the connections it definitely is
1: I think that's that's really my art form is helping to connect people because I, I love doing that. And I love just having, helping people to to be able to tell their stories and connect to others. And then when you see it happen, that's when change happens is everyone connecting to each other and building critical mass to, to really change a whole community. Oh,
0: beautiful.
1: Hopefully we can just learn to talk to each other the right way rather than fight with each other and unfriend uh, yes <laughs> unfriend block <laughs> uh,
0: yeah build connections yeah. instead of walls right
1: yeah. it's a whole new year and hopefully a whole new way of of doing things yes Uh, yeah it's so sad with my group the fact that I am doing climate change will automatically turn some people off Mm. which which is also
0: just ridiculous
1: I'm like well I'm okay with it. (laughs) I know it's bad but I'm like you know what I've learned over the years of helping schools to to try to transform who want to be arts integration schools you can't kill yourself trying to convince the people who don't want to be convinced Mm -hmm. you're gonna like hit your head against the wall when you've got you got to start with the low hanging fruit start with the people who want to do it mm-hmm. and build build that community and the more more people you have in your school who's interested the more it's going to be either the other people will either do, need to choose to stay and come along or leave yeah. so I mean, it's better to, I feel, it's better to spend your energy that way than try to spend your energy spinning your wheels.
0: Right, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And I feel like also with things where it's just like, you're sharing facts and science and knowledge, and somebody's combating that with just... I don't know, some sort of like ideology that makes no sense.
1: Yeah, so exactly. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, to support a whole
0: system that makes no sense. Right. right. (laughs) Uh, But um, Uh, I feel like, you know, the positive to to go towards like the positive note is just all of the connections that you're creating. And I also love, like I wanted to kind of come back to the idea, like sort of the spark for Teach that you talked about helping those teaching artists who really sort of abruptly lost their income, lost their jobs because of COVID. Yeah. I mean, there's maybe this isn't so positive, but this whole system where teaching artists are hourly workers and there's right. no, no security there. I feel super lucky to be I'm a teaching artist as well with like, you know, hourly pay, but my organization is so supportive. And they even through like in March when everything kind of was put on hold, they said, We've contracted you to be in the classroom. And now when you can't, through no fault of your own, we're still gonna pay you and we're gonna keep you up to date on our funding and like what the sort what the situation is. Oh,
1: that's so wonderful. Yeah. So that's so great. Yeah,
0: amazing. And I was hearing, you know, friends in new york that were just like nope no more work no more pay <laughs> like
1: and that's so wrong you know uh, like because you know they already budgeted for that like as right, the administrator exactly. as a former uh, yeah as a former nonprofit administrator it's already in the budget they already have that money mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> i mean i guess there's times that the money doesn't go through yeah it's yeah. it is like it is such a tenuous lifestyle and it's so hard i know several that have gone into like working at price club and mm-hmm. you know, there it's just heartbreaking to see, but, and I, and I know there's so many struggling of course, but this is something that's just a constant battle, whether it's right. a pandemic or not for teaching artists. Yeah. And there's, a you know, the teaching, the tag group, teaching artists mm-hmm. guild, they're really trying to work hard to help that. And, and there's now, there's a national group, international teaching artists, collaborative mm-hmm. and, and, They're trying to make it possible that there's teaching artists in every country. And I think that the more that people understand that this is an important part of our society, of our community that we can make it it's like a balance though right because you want to maintain your independence and but you don't want to so if you're contracted or you're salaried then you kind of have to do what they say so Mm -hmm. figuring out what that should should look like for independent artists is tough but you know people who are graphic designers and there's a lot of other independent artists who aren't doing the teaching side Mm -hmm. of things but they're doing the the commercial art side of things they're able to to get the high pay it's so i think it's the whole system of, of not valuing education is the root of the problem right
0: yeah Um, and then it's maybe also yeah it is definitely the root of the problem I'm just thinking of (laughs) like contract you know if you're a designer you maybe have a contract for the whole job and part of it is paid up front but like you're contracted like if something happens or whatever there might be some ways out of that contract but for the most part it's like nope sorry like (laughs) we have this you know this promise this contract yes Contracts are very, very important. Yeah. Like, why is that not always the case for teaching artists?
1: I know I've heard other states having issues because they don't have a strong arts council. Mm. And one thing that helps us in Maryland is that we do have a very strong Maryland our State Arts Council that supports the artists. And really, they have a website, they have the funding, they have grant money available for schools. And they have also, you know, set up structures to help to protect them. I mean... You know, everything obviously could be improved, but I know it's better there than in in some places. So, yeah. so, I mean, government can really help with that, you know, having legislature dedicate amounts to the arts council for each state, right, is really important. Yeah. And I think it was like California really doesn't have much as far as arts funding, which is crazy to me.
0: Yeah, I know in the schools that I was working at, so I was there through a nonprofit, and most of the funding was from the PTA. Wow. So it- It was not even, you know, there was maybe a little bit of public funding that was put into the program, but it was primarily like what the school could raise. Yeah. Wow. And
1: you would think places like California and Florida, who depend so much on the arts, Mm -hmm. arts business, arts community, would value that in their education
0: system, but you don't see it
1: in their government spending or budgets. It's very interesting. Lots of things to keep fighting.
0: Yeah. Keep working on. Well, I would love to give you some fun more like wrap up questions. Okay. <laughs> so, a really really broad one, what are you curious about right now? Hmm. Let's see. What am I curious about?
1: Oh, I know. I am very curious. I am completely I am completely obsessed. I cannot stop looking at French homes. <laughs> in the countryside of france uh, so my personal big dream is to to move to europe i just i told my husband he's like why i'm like because i just want to see what it's like to live in a more just society uh, and we're still in the americas and the united states influence just goes all the way down <laughs> And so it's very it's still very capitalist here for me. Yeah. And I've been looking at these lists of like the top places to retire, even though, you know, we're in our 50s. So it's starting to think it's still a little early, but we kind of want to do early retirement. And if I can just do teach, I would be happy. Or if I can just do teach plus a bed and breakfast, I would be happy. So they say in this like rural parts of France, you can live up 24,000 a year. And so I've been like dreaming of this and... <laughs> And spending my free hours looking online at, at these amazing little farms or or village houses that are like sixty thousand U.S. dollars. Uh, <laughs> yeah, amazing, right? That would be
0: so beautiful. Yeah,
1: oh. and I've been like joining all these Facebook expats in France groups. <laughs>
0: Just to uh, see, just to dream and see. We actually lived in Prague for three years. Oh, wow. Prague is so beautiful. Yeah, I was part of all the expat groups. and Nice. And you left and came back to the U.S. I know, and we left in 2017. So we were like, after the election, wow. we still came back. Oh, no, I should do it.
1: And see, I left in 2018. I left the U.S. in 2018. Mm-hmm crazy yeah no it was (laughs) Was,
0: was it amazing was it like a dream to live over there or did you want to come home it was beautiful I think the biggest reasons we came back were that I had my daughter over there so she was almost two when we moved back and it was part of that like wanting to be Slightly closer to family. I mean, we came to LA where we, my sister's here, but like our parents are nowhere near, but my husband's work is, is pretty limited where he can be Uh because he works in like TV and film. So LA or New York is pretty much it for us in the States. But yeah, it was partly just wanting to be closer, not having to have an international flight to see yeah, grandparents yeah. and um, oh, yeah, aunts and uncles and yeah, stuff. for sure. Then partly the other thing was that a lot of the expats that we knew were there working for like big international companies earning UK or yeah. US money. I mean, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we, you know, my husband was working for a Czech company. So it was like the social benefits are amazing, right. but it's also like You're not really saving and you're living sort of modestly, which was fine, but wanting to be able to sort of save for retirement and kind of knowing that eventually we would come back so we wouldn't have that social system supporting us forever. Yeah. Yeah, So that was part of it as well. Just needing to kind of feed back into being able to retire someday in the U.S.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I I know. I know how you feel because I am. I would never have um, even come here to out if my parents were still in the states but they Mm. they decided in 2014 to to fly back to the Philippines my dad always like from a very young age I always remember him wanting to go back and they only stayed because of us and you know they were both retired and and I realized you know why why are we keeping them here because my sisters my siblings had all moved away I was the only one still in Maryland taking Uh care of them and I said to them finally one day I'm like you know if you want to go back you should go back if that's what you really want and I'm like we're gonna miss you so much and i go i would go visit them until this happened i would go every year this is the longest i've gone without seeing them but there's so many more family members there you know there's like little ones and cousins and aunts and uncles and everybody's there so and whereas here it was like i only saw them on the weekends and because i was so busy with work and then they were alone so it's just a lot more you know it's just to have community around them is so much better for them there so because they did that, I'm like, well, now I can go. I mean, I really do miss my I miss my friends and fam- my family I've made from living there my whole life. And mm-hmm. the other thing that's so crazy about the pandemic is that it's helped me to reconnect with everyone, you know, that mm-hmm. now, especially with our work, together, working together on Teach, I get to see them online and talk to them. And, you know, and before the pandemic happened, we luckily, you know, Because we're teachers, we would have a lot of breaks and we would fly home like two or three times a year. It's not too far Mm -hmm. to go there. Our school actually gives us like free airfare home once a year.
0: Oh, amazing. Yeah, the
1: international schools, some of them, depending where you go, you can get a really nice benefits package. So that could be a whole other story. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: Oh. <laughs> no, I had no idea about them until, I, until I, we decided to do this. But yeah, wow. it's a whole new world. I love it. Okay, another just kind of fun question. What is your favorite food? Oh, that's so sad right now. Uh. <laughs> because
1: I can't I can't get it and I miss it so much. Sorry. (laughs) It's okay. Well, I can talk about it. It'll make me feel better, maybe. I my favorite favorite food, I'm a Baltimore girl through and through, is um Baltimore steamed crabs with Old Bay seasoning. And I'm also Filipina, so I have to have it with white rice, like steamed white rice, sticky rice. (laughs) It's my two cultures. I'm missing my crab cakes and and
0: Baltimore crabs very, very much. I haven't had them in over a year now. (laughs) Oh, I'm Sorry. I always like that question. I'm always like, is this going to be a hard one? No, that's like, hands down, my favorite food, for sure. Uh, So I'm gonna have to
1: come back home I don't know like I was asking myself that question are we going to retire in France and just be there or I always thought I would go back to Baltimore I do love I love my city Mm -hmm. so and you do need you know your support group we don't have kids and I think that's like part of the reason like feel like I am so passionate about this kind of work but yeah I don't know who's going to take care of me when I'm old I have to go back and ask my artists
0: too my young artists yes your sort of adopted family yeah they definitely our family. Mm, I love it. And thinking of that, is there anyone that you would want to give like a thank you or a shout out to?
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, definitely. I want to give a thank you and a shout out to my wonderful Maddie family, John Cicini, Maria Barbosa, Diana Salles, especially. We've been keeping in touch throughout the pandemic. Once a month, we get together and talk and it's really helped me so much. And my fabulous teaching artist family to Jamal and Max and Kwame and Ma- Oh, God, I don't think I could name everybody because I'll be in big trouble <laughs> but they've been super supportive and I think I could never get through this pandemic if we didn't have this technology so that I can can stay in contact with my arts family back home uh-huh. so thank you guys <laughs> So love you and miss you. And I like, I sent out a big invite for next year. So I love throwing parties and I used to, my husband and I were kind of famous for our Halloween parties back home when we used to live there. So I'm turning 50 next January and pray that everything will be okay and everyone can come to Panama for my 50th birthday.
0: Oh yes, that sounds amazing. Yeah, Uh, it'll be, hopefully, hopefully. (laughs) fingers
1: crossed. Fingers crossed. (laughs)
0: Uh, We keep pushing things back. But vaccinations are rolling out. We're getting there. We're getting there.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Last thing. Where can listeners connect with you online?
1: Oh, thank you. We can, they can connect on our website. It's teach, T-E-A-C-H dash Arts. ARTS.org, teacharts.org. Awesome. Or teach-arts.org. <laughs> That's better. Yeah. Please connect. It's free to register and check out the website. And we're trying to build our collective of teachers, inspired teachers, of teaching mm-hmm. artists, and also of schools and organizations who believe in this kind of work and in arts integration. Because I feel like if we can all work together and and share our knowledge, it can only make us stronger mm-hmm. to build that community. So please join us at teach arts.org, <laughs> my little
0: commercial. Awesome. And I will link to that as well. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Pat. This was wonderful just hearing about your teaching there and then also all of the work that you're doing with Teach and the experience that led up to that. Thank you for sharing with us.
1: Thanks so much, Rebecca. I really love your work. Thank you for telling the story of teaching artists. This is a beautiful idea. Oh, thank you.
0: Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can reach me at Teaching Artist Podcast on Instagram or TeachingArtistPodcast at gmail.com. Who do you want to hear from? Please share your recommendations of Teaching Artists. And if you loved this episode, please subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, and follow me. It really makes a big difference. Thank you.